0: Hi everybody. Uh, Welcome back for another uh, episode of the Setter Tales podcast. I'm Wade and Thomas is off tonight and I'm going to be flying solo. Um, One of the things we want to talk about is getting dogs ready for the field and our good friend Ian Donovan, uh, who spent many, many years training military dogs for the United States Army, is back with us again and we're going to bring him in and get right to it because he's got a lot of information and we want to make sure that we touch on everything we can. Ian, how are we doing tonight?
1: Good, man. How are you? It's good to be back.
0: Good. Um, You know, I saw you, uh, what, a week ago. You were at a heroes hunt that we had uh, last Sunday, a week ago, and you were here uh, helping us guide and getting some of the law enforcement guys out in the field, and we appreciated you uh, coming clear up from Tennessee to help us with that.
1: Well, man, that was a great time. It's a great event, and uh, now that I'm in the States more often, hopefully I can I can help out um, every year. Yeah, and uh, it was fun
0: it was really getting fun. a chance to uh, hunt with you the following day and try to, as we say, chase some of those residual birds that were not harvested by the, uh, the groups the day before. And, for sure. uh,
1: yeah, guys, there were it's quite a few. a target rich environment.
0: We put up a few, we put a few in the air, as they say. So that was fun. Uh, one of the things we want to, we, we spoke about you know, when we were having lunch after the hunt, we talked about some of the important things that, uh, some, sometimes confuses people, especially, uh, newer individuals to the hunting game and trying to train their new dog and for the first time and, and they hear all this stuff about uh, e-collars. And as you know, uh, e-collars, and that whole that whole nomenclature and, and technology can be pretty confusing to somebody that's trying to uh, navigate through that for the first time. So tonight, uh, we're gonna have you just kind of lay out the basics, I guess, the, the e-collar 101, if, they, if you will, and uh, we'll go through some of the things uh that have been successful for you over the years training dogs and when it comes to conditioning that dog and and what people need to understand is you just don't strap a collar on and light a dog up that's probably not the right thing to do right but it does happen unfortunately it happens you probably hear those stories all too Um, often yeah so so basically let's start and you know i've got a i've got a young dog and we have actually do have a young dog that's kind of getting to that point where we're wanting to make sure they're good and collared, conditioned. Uh, what's the first step that we should go through? Right. Well, the first step is, is familiarizing
1: yourself with a collar prior to ever putting it on a dog, you know, going through all of the functions of the collar, uh, making sure that you're familiar with it before you strap it on the dog and, um, there are a lot of things these e-collars can do for you, uh, both good and bad. Good if you really know what you're doing and bad if you're unfamiliar with how to utilize it properly. So first and foremost, and, and I've got a, an e-collar here that I can kind of go through. We'll talk about the, the different features of an e-collar. We're just using a dog arc e-collar here, but you've got your remote and you've got your um, receiver, right? This is gonna be on a collar on the dog's neck. Um, the remote's pretty pretty easy. You're going to have different buttons on every single remote, one for vibrate normally and one for stimulation or pressure, electronic pressure, sending that to the dog. One of the big things to look for in an e-collar, a good e-collar, is a very, very large range of sensitivity, okay, from zero. So this e-collar goes from zero to 120. Okay, that's extremely important um, when it comes to using this more as a communicatory device than a, a punishment, right? And we don't want the dog to think this is a punishment. So we want a very, very large range, and we'll talk about why that's important in a minute. But a large range um, on your receiver, you're going to have on-off button, you're going to have stimulation for electricity, you're also going to have vibrate, and you're going to have your stimulation, elevation, or adjustment knob, right? And then your antenna, most decollars are going to have three-quarters of a mile range, line of sight distance. Um, And then another key feature is a nick and constant. We're gonna talk a lot about that and why I utilize one much more than I utilize the other. Um, On your receiver, it's pretty easy. The two connection points are really gonna be what you need to focus on mainly. They've both gotta be making contact with the dog's skin in order for him to feel any stimulation from the collar. So pay attention to the points, You know how sharp they are or how wide they are, The, the flatter the point, more comfortable it's going to be on the dog the more difficult it's going to be to penetrate a double coat of a lab or the long hair of a setter right so we need to make sure that we've got the right connections contact points on the collar um, depending on what type of dog we're trying to utilize this with and again both have to be making contact with the skin in order for the dog to feel it Um, this is going to be on some sort of a flat collar when you get it but what we like to do it's keeping it on the flat collar for the portion that goes over the receiver, but then put a bungee cord system on it so that when we put it on the dog and tighten it up or cinch it tight, a bungee cord is what we use as a tightening device as opposed to like a belt for a person, right? The bungee cord allows the dog's neck to expand, to contract um, his airway to move freely when he's breathing, panting heavily. So that's something that I've learned um, really works well for the collar system is putting some sort of a bungee on there uh, in the clasp device so that when you tighten it down, it's a bungee cord instead of a flat collar that's doing the tightening. Um, And again, with the receiver, you're going to have your on-off button, a way to pair it up with the remote, but you're also going to have an indication system as far as lights go. Um, With this particular collar, every time you depress the button, it blinks green if it's charged. Amber if it needs charging and red if it's about to die, okay? Or orange if it needs charging, red if it's about to die. Um, Familiarize yourself with the system prior to putting it on the dog. Practice putting it on and taking it off the dog frequently. Make sure that you can get good contact with the dog's skin every time you put it on, make sure it's tight enough. One rule of thumb is to be able to put two fingers underneath it. Um, And that's tight enough to where he's gonna be able to feel the pressure from the contacts, but loose enough that he can still breathe and blood flows going you know from the body to the brain Um, but practice putting it on and off the dog taking it on and off the dog let the dog wear it let the dog understand that this is just another piece of equipment that is going to be following him in the field and put it on whenever you're going to feed him you know associated with with positive things too those are some of the first things that we like to start off doing with an e-collar with any dog
0: and when you talked about the prongs you can get different uh, lengths of those too as i understand it, right. depending on what kind of dog you got it on and mm-hmm. whether you got a like you said a setter or a lab or something that has a little heavier coat than some of the real short uh coated dogs so so that's another thing uh, yeah and that may be an option that you have to have to purchase or that you look at at the time you buy the buy the collar but for sure some, yeah you've some, got aftermarket
1: contacts for almost every single collar out there um these are these are Contacts that came with the collar, right? right. Um, They work for my dogs because I run really slick coated dogs, but you know, for the malawas or the setters or the labs We definitely have to change these guys out and get something that works more with whatever coat type You know the dog that you're working with has but you know in the beginning read your owner's manual thoroughly and understand every feature of this collar system practice put taking it on putting it on the dog taking it off the dog associated with good things food time. If your dog loves to retrieve, put it on, let him retrieve. And we're not pressing any buttons at this point. We're just letting the dog get accustomed to the way that these things feel on his neck because it's a little different than just a regular flat collar. So those are the first steps that we're going to take in introducing the e-collar to the dog properly. From there, we're going to really start talking about e-collar conditioning, what that means, and what it really looks like and what it should look like um, for each dog because it's It's what normally gets skipped over when guys get this device. You know, they kind of just throw it on the dog and and they're off to the races. And um, if utilized improperly, it could really put some speed bumps in your training progression uh, with any dog. But especially a a young dog that's looking to you uh, for some advice in training and you're just um, kind of creating uh, some real pitfalls um, in your training program if you don't know how to utilize it properly. One thing i want to show you guys and we want to go into is once you're familiar with the collar system right you know how to turn it on you know how to turn it off you know what all the buttons mean you know how to adjust the stimulation um we need to talk about nick versus constant okay meaning every most most of these devices have what's considered nick every time i depress the button and each collar system is going to come with one of these devices. It, you put it on the con- contact points and every time you depress the button it's going to give you an indication as to whether or not electricity is flowing through these contact points or not. Um, a lot of people use it to make sure that the collar system is working properly. I use it to kind of demonstrate the difference between nick and constant. I'll always put this on myself prior to putting it on any dog to ensure that it's working properly. Um, and. A large range is really good for that. It'll allow you to understand exactly what the dog's feeling. A lot of owners are apprehensive to put this on a dog, and that's one thing that I do with them. You know, I I put it on their arm and I give them the remote, and I let them start from zero, and you know, climb up in the numbers and press the button and see what exactly it feels like. Um, A lot of dogs don't even feel it until you get to ten. You know, on a good on a good collar system. Um, But the difference between Nick and Constant. Okay, Nick. Every time I depress the button, you can see the little light in the top of that device. Yeah. That's telling me that electrical current's running through there. Every time I depress the button in Nick, the dog is going to feel pressure or stimulation for about three quarters of a second. Went over to constant and depress the button. The collar is going to pulsate on the dog's neck. Every time I press the button, it's going to be a bump 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 bump. That's very important in the beginning with young dogs. I really want the dog to understand when I'm trying to communicate with him through the collar. Um, And Nick, in a lot of instances, will confuse the dog because he only feels pressure for three quarters of a second, right? As opposed to constant where there's a constant pulsation on his neck. It's very hard for him to ignore that as actual collar pressure right? So we'll talk a lot about Nick and Constant. Um, Most of these collar systems have vibrate function. I really don't utilize vibrate um, primarily because it doesn't increase in intensity, right? So vibrate is just vibrate. It doesn't go up in intensity or down in intensity. And if a dog just understands that if he gets used to ignoring that sensation on his neck, you know, there's no way to go up from there, right? There's no no way to increase the intensity of it Um, and another another really big thing about e-collars is i don't ever teach a dog anything with an e-collar that he doesn't already know on leash okay an e-collar is not a magical button to press that'll just you know speed your process along i take my time and i ensure that he understands all the commands on leash prior to instilling them with an e-collar as well Um, What that looks like is, yeah, positive reinforcement for all the commands prior to putting an e-collar on him. And then I utilize the e-collar and showing him that this is a communicatory device. We're going to use this to communicate with one another, okay? It's not a punishment. Um, And the way that I condition the dog to an e-collar is how I teach him that. And that's kind of what we'll move into next.
0: Okay. And so, um, so so the the collars that um we have or that we utilize are are, are obviously similar to that there are dogs doctors as well and we have a locate feature which obviously you don't use in your military application and probably mm-hmm. in some of your close working dogs you don't need that we obviously like that in cover heavy cover you probably saw me using that the other day when we were hunting and we sure had, you know the setters were in some of that cover over our heads and, and it's just um for me to kind of get a general idea of their range and where they are and uh and uh and that's what it's what it's called locate but yeah um, yeah and and sometimes that can be overdone sometimes uh some guys kind of get too reliant on that and and are you know on the button all the time and and that type of thing and that can confuse the dog too because typically my dogs know that if they hear the double beep on the locate that that kind of means they they need to Find me or check in. Basically, they're probably right. too far away, and now then they are they'll they'll move back towards me and get a little closer and check in, kind of thing. And that's just how we've we've trained them to do that. But uh, um, most people are, I guess, upland people that are getting uh, collars may run into that locate feature as well. Sure, some of the collars. Yeah. yeah, and I utilize it with
1: with my dogs as well. I need to I need to know where the dog is, but I tone the dog for a recall because most of the time that dog's going to be out of, he could be without a earshot or there's a lot of wind or, you know, the cover's super thick and he's down in it and he may not be able to hear me. So I tone recall my dogs and we can kind of talk about what that okay. looks like too. It's kind of the same as whistle sit. Um, when I'm, when I'm teaching waterfowl dogs or labs or a dog that you want to teach, you know, one short blast on a whistle, it means sit down and look at me. Um, but you just brought up something that's, that's pretty important in training and that's confusion, right? When a, dog's confused um confused it's my fault as the trainer because i'm not being clear and concise in my guidance okay and i never never ever um reprimand for confusion because again that's my fault i reprimand for blatant disobedience okay that means when the dog totally understands what it is that i'm asking him to do and he just thinks eh, i think i'd rather do what i'd like to do that's when i correct for blatant disobedience but if i'm asking a dog to do something and he's attempting to do it but he's not doing it to my standard maybe or he's uh, he's doing something he's kind of muddying it up right he's confused and that's my fault for not giving him clear and concise guidance and i'll just back up and i'll help him along the way and kind of guide him it's a teamwork uh drill you know this is uh it takes a ton of patience to do this but especially with an e-collar if you find yourself you know, getting a little upset, a little hot headed. Um, you don't want to use that e-collar to make yourself feel better because it'll, it'll really, uh, hamper what you're trying to do with the dog. Okay. And and, I mean, using the e-collar to punish the dog is one of the worst things that you can do with the e-collar. We drive it at home that this e-collar is just a form of communication. I've got a 10 year old dog. When he comes out of the kennel and we go to work, we put an e-collar on. It's not a form of, discipline for him or or reprimand it's how we communicate with one another okay and that's why that's where the range of this e-collar is going to come into play but let's talk about e-collar conditioning and how we do it and and kind of what i've learned is one of the best ways to do it Um, i'll take a new dog a young dog or an old dog a dog that's got no e-collar experience and i'll take him and put him in as sterile an environment as i can get meaning I don't want a ton of distractions out there. I don't want kids running around or other dogs running around or cars. You go into a, you know, as sterile environment as you can get a, a corner of field someplace where not much is going on. And I utilize a 30 foot leash and I let that dog wander out to the end of that 30 foot leash. And I'm going to start with pressure on the e-collar, right? From a one on this receiver, I'm going to go to one and it's going to be on continuous again, When the dog, when I press the button, the dog's going to feel pulsating on his neck, okay? I press the button and I watch the dog and and look for a reaction out of the dog. Ten times out of ten almost, the dog's never going to feel it on that low of a setting. So I bump it up to two, I do the same thing, three, so on and so forth, until I see the dog give me some sort of reaction. There's a few different reactions that the dog is going to give you once he feels e-collar pressure for the first time. One of those is he may fight it right? He may start trying to bite at the collar. If you're the only thing in his world, he may try to bite you. Not so much with these floppy ear dogs or these um, upland dogs, retrievers, but definitely with our bite dogs. You know, they know one way to get out of a bad situation is to bite you. So that's one thing they may do. They might try to fight it. They may try to run away. They may try to, you know, fight or flight, right? So they may just try to run away from it. That's why he's on a 30 foot leash. I'll go ahead and I'll ease off pressure, let them calm down, let them start moving again. Movement for dogs really takes care of a lot of anxiety, um, and then we'll start over. So fight, flight. He may just accept it. The dog may most most really intelligent dogs understand that you're not out there to hurt them, and really not much in the environment's out there to hurt them either. So they'll look at you for guidance. Okay, and then another reaction that you may see is just the dog freezes up. know he doesn't know what this anomaly is he's never felt it before so he just thinks if he freezes up doesn't move it may just go away right but what you're looking for what i look for when i understand that the dog feels pressure at the lowest level okay the lowest setting he can possibly feel it the sterile environment is so important when there's a ton of distractions those numbers are going to have to be much higher for the dog to feel it because You and I are talking right now and you can hear exactly everything I'm saying. If we were having this conversation in a concert, I'd be having to scream at you for you to hear the same thing. And that's the same example of a sterile environment as opposed to, you know, an environment with a ton of distractions, right? That high distraction environment is a concert, you want to take them in a one-on-one talk type environment. So as sterile an environment as you can get. And that allows you to see when he feels the lowest number, the lowest level of intensity on that collar, and that's where we want to start working with the dog. And in all of this conditioning, what I'm teaching the dog to do is shut pressure off. He needs to understand that he controls whether or not he feels pressure. The way that I do that is I look for a reaction from the dog. Once he feels pressure, it may be an ear twitch or a head turn. When he feels pressure, he's got to do something to turn it off. He can't just freeze up. He can't run away from it. Uh, He can't fight it, okay? It's going to continue until he does something to shut it off. Normally what that looks like is movement, okay? Um, Anytime he moves or he turns towards me, pressure goes away. I teach the dog that he can move through it and, and he can shut it off that way. Moving first is all I'm looking for. And then very quickly, I want that dog to start turning into me when he feels pressure. So it's bump, 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 and he takes off. I let it go. Okay, he's off of pressure. Bump, 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 bump. He's going to start having, through successive approximation, we're going to teach him exactly what we want him to do when he feels pressure. But I want the dog in small increments, really, to start turning and looking at me, and then pressure goes away. The whole thing is, in this environment, right, when you feel pressure, I need you to start trying to figure out how to shut it off. Okay, we're going to train these dogs and drive. These are drivey dogs. i are going to utilize pressure in order to do that. Push and pull. We'll teach him how to go away from us with pressure to shut it off, how to come to us to shut it off. Um, And then in obedience, you know, pressure works extremely well because it's super timely. Um, So, again, this could take a few sessions. It could take a few days of a few sessions a day. It all depends on the dog's intelligence level and your timing with the e-collar. So, again, look for those small little changes that he gives you and then shut pressure off. Teach him that he's got to do something to shut it off. And then very quickly turn that something into looking at you and then moving towards you. Okay. Once he's, when he feels pressure and he starts moving towards you and it shuts off from there, we're going to start doing other things. with him.
0: So it's probably one of the basic ones um, uh, that we've used in the past. And most people start with is the kennel command. I mean, that's a pretty simple, the dog understands when you, you say kennel he's going in the crate or he's going into the, the dog, uh, dog kennel. And, uh, and that, and then by giving that command and, and if he does go into the, into the crate while that pressure is being, uh, while he's being stimulated with that pressure. And then once he does that command and he goes in the crate and the, and the stimulation stops, then basically he's learning that, okay, to stop that pressure, I just need to go into crate. Like he told Absolutely. me to. Is that, yeah. Okay.
1: Again, I don't, he knows most obedience, he knows come, sit, kennel, or place, get up on a place object of some sort prior to e-collar conditioning, okay? Before you put an e-collar on him and he's conditioned to how to shut it off, you can give him all those commands, and yeah, he may want to listen to him. He may want to obey, but there's going to be the time where he doesn't want to. Now, how do you hold him accountable for deciding to disobey you, right? Um, food or treat training is only good as long as the dogs he's full there's really no more incentive for him to obey you right so this e collar is now become a form of holding him accountable a way that you can hold him accountable right so the reason that i stop with the conditioning process when the dog starts coming to me is i don't want pressure to only mean recall okay i don't want pressure to just mean come and run to me i want to be able to pull him to me with it i want to be able to push him away with it right so from there, I will, yes, I'll give him the come command. He comes to me. If he looks at me, right, if I say come and I and the dog understands the command, he looks at me, he looks out away from me, decides to go the other way. That's when pump, 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 and I repeat the command. I repeat the command as I apply pressure because the dog understands he's got to do something to shut pressure off. Well, now I'm giving him the answer to the problem. You feel pressure. You hear the command. You know what the command means. When you when you listen to the command or obey the command, pressure goes away, right? So I'm giving you the answer to the test now, and that's what I mean by a communicatory device. We just use it to communicate better with the dog. An e-collar is nothing more than a very long leash that you have on your animal. It gives you control of the dog, both by your side and three quarters of a mile away from you, really. Um, same thing with sit. Fido, sit. He looks at you. Every time I have to repeat the command, sit, 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 right? So every time I say the command, I press, I give him stimulation with the collar. And he understands he's got to do something to shut it off I'm giving him the answer to the test. So you get very timely reactions to what you're asking the dog to do. And you now have a way to hold him accountable if he chooses not to. Listen, I know that you may not want to sit, but this is a good time to sit, right? Um, This is just another reminder as to why you should do what I'm asking you. It's just to shut this pressure off. It's kind of an annoyance. They want to make it go away. Um, But having a high level or a a big degree of stimulation on a collar, right? A large range uh, is going to be super beneficial because, you know, I hear it all the time. Well, my dog listens on a 15 in the house. But then when we go out, to the park we go out in public or we're hunting you know he doesn't he doesn't feel a 15 at all again it's that it's that concert environment right we go from a controlled sterile type of environment to one with a ton of distractions and understand dogs are distracted by things that we don't even know are there smells is a big one right he smells things that i have no clue or even in in the world right um hears things that I can't hear, feels things that I don't know he's feeling. So he's got a ton of distractions. Those numbers just need to go up to be able to communicate with him in a high distraction environment, right? Um, But again, every time that I ask the dog to do something, he's got the choice to do it or not. Uh, If he chooses not to, he's just going to feel pressure until he complies. But again, push and pull training. I don't want him to just come to me when he feels pressure. I want to teach him to go into a kennel, right? So if he understands kennel and I say kennel, I'll say kennel and I'll bump, 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 bump. I will depress the butt and he'll feel pressure. The second his feet are all in the kennel, it goes away. That teaches a dog to jump in that kennel in order to shut this pressure off. A place table, a place board, a dog bed, same thing, the back of the truck. Um, how often do you have a dog? You know, we were talking about it last week, right? And it's something that I really like to see. I like to see a dog when you're coming back to the truck to swap dogs out or get water or drop birds off. That dog doesn't want to come anywhere near the truck. He wants to stay out and hunt. Um, it can also be really, uh, kind of annoying if you're on a time crunch, right, or you need to swap dogs out or whatever. So having a dog that's got a ton of drive to hunt's great but we also need that dog to listen to us when we need him to listen to us. So uh, pressure can bring him to you or push him away. Very and easy. we've
0: all seen the guy in the field. We've hunted with that guy in the field that, you know, like you said, the dog in the, in, in the yard work is responsive, but when pheasants are in the air and shotguns are going off, the dog's excited and running and the guy, you know, is trying to, you know, tone this dog and or now, get that stimulation, but that number that he's used to using isn't working. And what happens is all of a sudden I see that baby gets cranked up yeah, and it gets cranked up so far that what do you get? You end up that dog, you hear a big yelp mm-hmm. out of that dog. And, uh, and that, and that's the pitfall right there that, yeah. you know, when you, when people out there, when you lose, lose your patience, and what does the so what does the dog get from that? When that happens, What what message have you sent to that dog now? Well,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, you never want to hear a a vocalization from a dog when you're utilizing an e-collar. Now, the only caveat to that, again, is some dogs, not normally gun dogs or working dogs, but normally pet dogs will throw a fit. You know, we'll kind of throw a temper tantrum and whine and cry if you're asking them to do something and holding them accountable when they don't do it. Um, But you never want to hear that audible response from a dog. You're right. that's That's too much pressure. And now you're punishing the dog. What it means to the dog is that whatever he was doing at the time that he felt that pressure, <clears throat> he's probably never going to want to do again. Or in order to shut it off, he's got to do something, right? Well, that in the beginning was movement, okay? If he doesn't know where you are in the field, if he hasn't pinpointed you, pressure, he may bolt to the last known, your last known location in his mind, which could be the other end of the field, right? Or not where you are at the time. And then you get frustrated and bear down. Well, he must need more pressure, right? That's so if, always so. The if answer.
0: that dog gets uh, gets gets punished while he's tracking a rooster and he's oh, on pheasant yeah. pheasant scent, that message yeah. has been that's bad. So the next oh, sure. time I smell pheasant smell uh, smell that scent, I remember what happened, and that's right. when the dog is right next to the to the. I remember a guy telling me that I don't know that dog. He won't leave my side, you know. I can't <laughs> get him to go out there and hunt anymore. Right. But the last time he did, and he smelled pheasants. You know, out here in this big field, something bad happened to him. And yeah. so now, it, and that's hard to fix. That's and it's all a
1: part of reading your dog, too. I mean, you've got to know when your dog's birdie, when he's tracking. You know, what is he actually doing out there? Is he just running around trying to get a few more minutes in the field? Or is he working cover? Is he working a bird? What's the wind doing? What's the topography doing? Could he be in contact with bird odor at that point in time? Is he tracking a bird? Was there a wounded bird knocked down anywhere in Ephesus you know, you've really got to pay attention to the dog, but with e-collar training, you've got to pay attention to the dog at all times. Um, the dog determines how much pressure he feels when he feels it and when he doesn't, right. That's the beauty of e-collar conditioning the proper way and utilizing it properly. The dog's going to determine whether or not he feels pressure when I'm the trainer, right? He's only going to feel pressure when I've asked him to do something and he, and he ignores me or he chooses not to. Um, the first command that I give is never with pressure, ever. I always give the dog a chance to do the right thing or do what I'm asking him to do. And then if I know for a fact that that dog's heard me and understood me, every other time that I've got to repeat that command, he gets pressure. And every time I have to repeat it, pressure goes up incrementally. So at a certain point, the dog's gonna isn't work the squeeze I'm going to comply with what he's asking me to do because I don't want this annoying thing on my neck bothering me every time this guy asks me to do something and I choose to ignore. Um, But again, it's just your way of the best way of communicating with a dog is through um, an e-collar with a large, large range of sensitivity.
0: And what people will find out, um, the breed of dog kind of determines that intensity sometimes you know, you you hear that term well. Like, for instance, our setters—they are, their disposition—they're pretty soft in the sense that they don't take a lot of pressure real well. I mean, they, it doesn't take a lot of pressure to hurt their feelings, you know. And uh, whereas some of the other breeds, you know, might some I've seen labs that just shake their head at you, like, "Yeah, is that all you got?" You know, like, is that all you? You know, oh, yeah. that's it's nothing. Speak know.
1: Retrievers or not. Yeah,
0: I mean, that you know, that same that same uh, that same level that had the setter basically sulking, saying, you know, you've, you've been mean to me. The German short hair of the lab is out there just ignoring you because, you know, it's no big deal. So so that's the other thing with the different breeds of dogs is knowing, and those dogs inside that breed. I mean, even dogs out of the same litter may have a different variance as far as, do you find that sometimes? Sure, yeah. Like litter mates might, different. you know, this litter mate might be a 10, but <laughs> this litter, this this dog over here, the the other one out of the litter might be a little... Take a little more fast. or less. Just depends. Every on the dog. single
1: dog is different. That's why the range is so important. Some of the dogs that you would expect to just be super tough, you know, super hard, you know, dogs that run through barbed wire fences and slice themselves open and, and just bowl through cover like it's no problem. They're on a seven, whereas that dainty little female, for whatever reason, you know, is in the thirties sometimes, and, and and still operating just fine. Um, it every dog's different, and you've really got to pay attention because. And you can set yourself back really easily with an e-collar and and not knowing how to utilize it. The most important thing you can ever teach that dog is that he's got the power to shut it off. And the way that you teach him is to show him how to. Again, he's got, you're asking him to do something. He understands how to turn pressure off. He's got to do something. Now you're giving him the answer to that problem. Um, But e-collars are just a wonderful, wonderful tool to use both for training and then you know it it doesn't just end for training i utilize an e-collar every day that i work my dogs right so again it's just the way that i communicate the tone recall um i've got i've got hounds that i can recall from a mile away if they understand the last place that we were and a lot of times that's why i don't leave that one spot because they'll come back to me uh, from that distance once they hear a tone recall uh, but it's just a massive, um, tool to have in your toolbox. Uh, and when it comes to communicating properly with the dog, there's really no better way to do it. But again, one of the key points to it is making sure that everything you teach with an e-collar, the dog and you both understand what that dog on a leash prior to putting an e-collar on them. Um, that's the, the more hands on time you can get with a young dog. Um, prior to an e-collar, the better. The more that you can understand the dog prior to putting an e-collar on, the better. The more that you can understand differences or changes in behavior and what that looks like with your dog prior to putting an e-collar on, the better. Um, Every dog's different, so it's kind of a challenge when you work with so many dogs to make sure that you can see minute changes in behavior in the beginning of that e-collar conditioning process. But if it's your dog and you've had a lot of in, you know, a lot of interaction with it, it should be much easier for you to see those little variances and change, right? That you're looking for in the beginning of that process. Um, that's where you make your money, you know. The first few sessions of e-collar conditioning, make sure that you're very timely with shutting that pressure off when he does something, right? You're looking for him to do something to shut that pressure off, and then through success approximation or or baby stepping it. You can get it to where, you know, he felt pressure, he flicked his ear, you shut it off. He felt pressure, he turned his head, you shut it off. He felt pressure, You take. he took a step, you shut it off. You know, he starts turning towards you, you shut it off. He turns towards you now, you need a little more, so you keep on with the pressure until he takes a step towards you, then you shut it off. And then the next time he takes two steps and you shut it off. And now you've got a recall. Again, that's where we'll stop, and now we're going to go through all the different commands that he already knows, but now we're going to use pressure to solidify him really. Um, And another important thing is don't the first time you tell him to do something, don't use pressure. That's his, that's his chance to comply with you to work with you. Right. Um, The second and third and maybe fourth or fifth time, he still has a chance to work with you. You're still working with him. You're not forcing him to do anything. Um, You're still working with him and communicating with him. And it's a, I've learned in years that, and it's, it's much easier with clients' dogs than it is with my personal dogs, right? Your personal dog, you know, you, you really take it personal when the dog messes up or doesn't do what he should do in your eyes or other people's eyes. Clients' dogs, you know, I, I really, all of my emotion is gone. I, I shut, off, shut off all emotion and it's just business with these dogs. So I don't get upset. I don't get flustered. You know, the dog has really got to figure it out. And you're building a ton of independence in a dog when you're training in this way, too. And that's huge. You know, you need an independent dog out in the field. Um, you need an independent working dog, period. They need to work well with you, but at times they need to be independent. You're teaching them to problem solve in the beginning stages of the CU collar conditioning uh, where they're presented with a problem. A lot of dogs just look to you to solve it, but they need to figure out on their own how to shut this pressure off. So problem solving skills and independence that you're creating are really, really good for a young dog or really any dog in that
0: matter. How young uh, can you start a dog on the, I mean, what's the general age of a dog you want to start? I won't start a dog
1: uh, younger than six months. He's got to, he's got to, he's got to have enough um, mental aptitude to really understand some of these concepts, right? So a dog that's, Prior, you know, a dog prior to six months is not going to have the independence that he's going to need to start solving his own problems. Right. Still looking for the mom to kind of solve all those problems for him. But around six months is normally what we find uh, where these young dogs kind of start coming into their own uh, young adulthood, if you would. Now, they're still very puppyish, but they can make their own decisions. They can start problem solving. Um, (laughs) Now, understand that the younger they are, the more patience you're going to have to have you know for the most oh, part. absolutely um, yeah. so it's uh I always like to start off as soon as I possibly can with any dog uh, six months is normally that cutoff that we start at
0: okay um, and you mentioned uh, the the technology has come so far with these levels I, I we we run dog trips also and I think ours have 127 levels mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember the last time that I nicked any of our dogs honestly I mean it's it's pretty much it's pretty much locate and and toning a dog just you know to get their attention and use hand signals or whatever uh we did talk about the other day we had some real windy conditions dogs in heavy cover like this time of year and uh, i'm toning that dog and he understands what i'm looking for he knows that hey uh, you know dad wants me to check in you know i'm but i don't know where i my world is down here. I don't know. I can't see. I don't know where he's at, but so to solve that problem, I'll guess maybe go the wrong direction, as you Mm. mentioned, you know, and then the more you tone that dog, the more kind of frantic he gets because now he's really trying. He knows knows he's, yeah, he knows he's, he's, he needs to solve that problem, but uh, and what we went to was, uh, and I had that problem happen to me in South Dakota a few years ago in this big, huge, thousand acre field that was all cover almost head high and uh, heavy winds you couldn't hear anything and even sound was playing weird you know even sound from the collar sounded like it was coming from a different direction that it really wasn't you've had those days too but um, but it it dawned on me that that dog needs to be able to orient to me where I'm at you know and so in those situations I need to help him and and unfortunately that day i didn't have a whistle but i did the next best thing i fired a couple of shots in the air mm-hmm. and i noticed that i by by listening by toning him i could tell he had turned and he was coming in the right direction and eventually he found me um but and today we use a whistle for the same purpose hey here's where i'm at you know i'll blow some couple uh uh toots on the whistle but is that is that kind of pretty standard across uh when you're looking for your dog out there too and you've toned him and you know he can't he can't he doesn't know where you're at he can go to that last location but that doesn't mean you're you're there right no because we're we're moving in that field so yeah so
1: we know where the dog is for the
0: most part we have to
1: very rarely do we take into account the fact that the dog needs to know where we are when we Either need them to turn back towards us, um, come to us, whatever it may be. So yeah, having a mechanical device like a whistle, you know, probably having two because two is one, one is none, right? Those little, and even the the ballless whistles because those balls freeze up in there. We're hunting in really cold weather, but that dog's got to know where you are as well. Um, Most dogs, as you know, you've you've raised and trained some exceptional dogs in the upland hunting game. Uh, They want to hunt with you. You know they. You are an integral part of that game and of the team. And that's really what you are. You're a dog team. Uh, overseas, you see it all the time. You know, you're a dog team. You're working together to survive and to win. Um, in the field, we're working together to have the best day we possibly can, the most productive day we can. But if that dog doesn't know where you are, um, it's going to make him very difficult for him to hunt with you as opposed to hunting for himself, which some dogs, you know, you know, as well as I do, kinda like to do until they get that bond with the owner and they're they're they get smart to the game is what we're doing out here, right? Um, especially with pointers, man. Some pointers, you know, the game is just to point. That's that's the apex. That's what they want to do. Well I can point a bird all day with dad there or not. Right. So they really we really need to work with them to understand where we are, how far a distance is too far, how close a distance is too close, right? I've got a dog right now I was talking to you about that did the majority of his hunting with his owner on a side-by-side, you know, and he was, he was keeping up with that side-by-side. So yeah, he'd run big at first, but then once he realized that I'm on foot, you know, he wanted, he felt comfortable with a 30 meter bubble or 30 yard bubble. Um, I need to stretch that dog out a little bit. I need to teach that dog that to go away from me with pressure. Right. Um, that's something that, that I'm working with that dog through, um, because he just works in much too close on foot. He's not comfortable being far away from me. So yeah, it's it's all the way with the dog. But again, if the dog is confused, it's my fault as a trainer. Um, don't, don't ever correct for confusion or, or you know reprimand for confusion just for blatant disobedience. And in teaching, you're going to have a lot of confusion. The more clear and concise you can be with that dog, the better. And this is... This doesn't have much to do with e-collar condition, but training in general, right? Something you see all the time, all the time, is when there should only be one word for a command, people put about 30 words together for that command, you know. Sit. When I say sit, your butt hits the ground and doesn't move until I give you a different command. Hey, buddy. Sit, buddy. Sit. Hey, come on now. Sit. Come on now. Sit, buddy. Hey, hey, buddy. Come on now. We got to sit, right? Well, not. They don't. None of that means anything to them. You're just muddying up the command. So trying to think the way dogs think as opposed to the way we think is going to be very beneficial for guys too. But with e-collar training and and working with an e-collar, it's really more conducive to the way dogs communicate as opposed to the way we, you know, people communicate. Pressure and release, right? Pressure and release. That's exactly how they communicate with each other, through pressure and release, both spatial pressure, crowding. Backing off, physical pressure, you know, putting teeth on each other, pawing each other, and release, right? So, again, if utilized properly, it is the most effective form of communication with your dog if utilized properly. So, that proper conditioning in the beginning is paramount to having a successful program with your e collar, making sure you fully understand every feature of it, right, before you start pressing buttons. And again, if you can only remember one thing, remember, you've got to teach the dog that he can turn it off. He can feels it when he does not you know, he controls that. So he doesn't fear something that he controls, right? None of my dogs are scared of e-collar pressure because they know they control it. That's 100% the case with all my dogs. So. Never will one of my dogs feel stimulation and freak out and run away or try to bite me or, or bite at it or bite another dog or, or freeze up, right? They understand that when they feel pressure, they need, to do, they need to look to do something that I'm asking them to do, right? So then you get a dog that really, really wants to work with you because you're the other part of that equation, right? Um, he feels pressure. He should either stop doing something that he's doing or do something that you're asking him to do.
0: So, so, if, I, so if I go out there and put the collar on the dog for the first time right now, mm-hmm. what's my, what's my, if it's a relatively intelligent dog, most of the hunting breeds are, you know, that are bred, mm-hmm. bred well, um, what's, what's the, uh, what's the expectation as far as how many sessions you would expect that that dog starts to put that together? I mean, I know oh, every dog's different, but, now. but I mean, if you're a month into it and that dog hasn't figured it out, then and is it a handler problem or is it, you're not, your timing can is off? It could be a handler or? problem,
1: but it's probably, if you're a month into, it's probably an equipment problem. You probably don't even have the e-collar working properly. Um, you may just, you know, it may not be on. It may not be making contact with his skin. Again, it's, it's, it's so important to make sure that both of those contact points are making contact with the dog's skin right. um, in order for the dog to feel it. Because if there's any hair in between it, he's not going to feel it. If just one's making contact and not two, he won't feel it, right? So I always put, I always put this on myself and I put it on the in, you know, the inside of my wrist, some place that's really sensitive um, prior to putting it on the dog to make sure that a three feels like a three and doesn't feel like a 30, right? I need to know these to put it on the dog. It's too important a task really to mess up. Um, So... Being very familiar with the equipment is going to be extremely important. You don't have to be an expert, but you have to be really familiar with it and make sure that it's functioning properly.
0: And that's where people like you come in. Come in uh, If somebody doesn't feel comfortable doing this mm-hmm. conditioning, they get an expert to get somebody that's professional like you that have done it many, many times before to get their dog through that process where they feel like, okay, I think it's been done right. But, yeah. um, but generally, um, most people could probably do it on their own if they just did a little research and oh the time to yeah. understand the equipment okay.
1: it's something um, you can do on your own again it's just so paramount those first few sessions that you are yeah, very in tune with what your dog you know the reactions yeah. that he's given you
0: and sometimes those of us who've had dogs for years and trained dogs I mean we don't even think too much about it but you know when you really break it down to the person out there just listening that has their first dog yeah that's a man that's a and they and they know that they can't mess this up you know so yeah. then they get apprehensive about well am i doing it right or, mm-hmm. and uh, so it can be it can be kind of a it can be a tough uh, tough deal for for somebody but it's not that hard it's not that difficult if you
1: think it's not that difficult you gotta think Again,
0: like the dog right yeah think
1: like the dog and and <laughs> Go slow, right? But in yeah. each training session, each each conditioning session is only about five minutes. You know, I may do two or three a day. Okay. In the beginning, most of the dogs that I get, um, it's a brand new environment for them, so they're kind of getting used to the, the you know the new environment. All, all while I'm trying to condition them, so they're pretty short sessions. Um, but again, go low on pressure if you have if you're questioning it don't if you don't think the dog's feeling it go up slowly and incrementally don't just you know turn that dial all the way to the right just to see what kind of get because it's not going to be the reaction you want and it's not going to be the reaction that that dog needs at that time for sure
0: and just if be, dog um,
1: is... be very cognizant of that
0: and if the dog if you don't know where your dog is don't don't uh, <laughs> try to find him by Frying him with the collar. I mean, that's because no. uh, you'll cause some, some big problems there, obviously. Yeah.
1: There's uh, so many things now in an e-collar world. You know, you've got GPS, you've got tone, you've got locate, you've got right. all these things. Yeah. You don't need to do that. It's just laziness in a handler.
0: Well, you see yeah. And like you know, that. in the old or, days, way back when, when I first started, when I remember seeing my first e-collar, I mean, it, it had like two settings, you know, Yeah. you know, roast and of, you know, <laughs> And I, I mean, it was strictly was punishment. That's what it was, you know. Dog, you know, uh, it wasn't any kind of, um, it, you didn't have that ability to get these levels of of, uh, of uh, stimulation. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, I don't, you know, I guess, they, I guess maybe you could keep your dog. If your dog was chasing a deer or something, maybe you could uh, stop him. But, boy, I, you know, I, I just don't know. Uh, I, ma- I imagine there are a lot of dogs were ruined probably over the process over those oh, years. Sure. But.
1: But, and you know, uh, those e-collars that you come across that, you know, they might have a setting one through 10 or one through five, man, number one is probably too hot for most dogs. Okay. You know, just that lowest setting is probably too much for dogs. Um, it's, if you're going to spend money on equipment for dog training, spend it on a good e-collar and get something with a very large range. I think I said it was 120 on this dog tree. You're absolutely right. It's 127. Yeah. I forget that because I never <laughs> go past, you know, 12. I, uh,
0: Right. I one time said, "Why the hell do they have 127 levels?" Yeah. I mean, what <laughs> the heck is that all about? You know, I mean, <laughs> it, uh, but, you know, what kind of dog would have a would need 127 I guess to get a reaction grizzly bear or something, I don't know, but oh, sure. Uh, sure. But yeah, it's, I guess what what's kind of nice about it is uh um and I don't know, you know, it kind of depends on each dog being different. You kind of like you said, you kind of know that when mm-hmm. when uh you know that you know that this setter is uh, when I go in the field, uh, his collar is usually set at a certain number, and that right. stays that way because that's just uh, over the years of hunting him. That's just kind of what works. And, yeah, and you uh, have working some, numbers for dogs. Yeah, yeah. and maybe sometimes when you you know um, you know you get a you know get some kind of a situation in the field where. You got a dog trying, going towards the highway to get a crippled bird or something, and you want to, you know, turn him quick, and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you, you raise it up a little bit, you know, to do that, but. Uh, yeah. Well, but, you can transition, you know, the woke command.
1: Obviously, you're an Upland bird guy. Yeah, um, yeah. The woke command, you teach it on the belly collar. The dog's got to do something to shut this pressure off. You know, on the belly, it tightens up all those abdominal muscles, makes it more difficult to walk, but once you transition off the belly back to the neck, uh, woe still means stop moving your feet you know you feel this pressure stop moving the feet to shut it off same thing and if think, he's kind of going somewhere he just shouldn't be. and i think
0: we'd like to get into that and i think what we'll do is the next uh the next episode or session we do with you we may get a little more into the woe command and yeah you know and i've had people ask me and a lot of questions about uh you know putting collars on the belly of the dogs and mm-hmm. what's that all about and what yeah. you're trying to do with that and so that might be another good one to spend a little time on when we bring you back um It's a great tool, man. And it's uh, when done
1: properly, it really, really is good for the dog. Um, And it is something that's kind of difficult, I guess, if guys don't know what they're doing, and they could probably mess things up. Uh, But yeah, it would be good. I think it'd be good. Something good to talk about.
0: Yeah, well, we got a lot of different things we're going to be able to go over with you over time. And uh, Mm -hmm. we're going to have you back. From uh, time to time, uh, I think everybody enjoys that and uh, are are learning a lot, and I'm learning a lot too. Just uh, been spending the time I have with you. Anybody that's uh, trained the kind of dogs that you've trained over the years, um, and transitioning into some hunting dog stuff that you're doing now so, is is uh, really interesting and important. And so, we all can learn. Keep learning, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. um, Ian, we appreciate your time. Um, Anything else to wrap up on the collar end that we haven't really talked about yet?
1: No. Um, the only thing that I can say is what I've said in the beginning. You know, it's just so important that you start off slow and you look for those things in the beginning, those little details, those little movements and changes in your dog. The better you are at that in the beginning, the less time you're going to have to spend fixing issues that you create. So just remember Absolutely. that. It, Again, if anyone's listening to this and they have questions, I'm more than willing to answer those questions because the last thing I want to see are people create problems that are difficult to fix. Because
0: yeah, I've had to fix
1: quite a few of them. <laughs> My own dogs in the beginning and a lot of other people. So always it's always
0: better things. not to have to fix something. You That's know, true. To do it right the first time. we That's all, uh, we all been, been through that. And I'll mention to uh, to our listeners out there also, if you do have questions, um, follow-up things that we, you'd like to ask Ian about just Uh, text them over to us put them on to get on the web on our Facebook page uh, where we're going to be posting this uh, this interview along with some other platforms but you can always uh, uh, type in some uh, some chat ask questions and Ian was very good about getting back to you guys and uh, he he likes to uh, uh, to help us all have better dogs and so uh, we appreciate that absolutely okay uh ian again thanks a lot we uh, look forward to the next time um i think i'll be seeing you in another month and a half or so yeah can't uh, come gonna, soon enough yeah gonna we're gonna be doing a little uh, a little hunting uh hunting show kind of a thing that's coming up i believe in just De- in december that'll be a lot of fun and uh, but in between then i bet we see you again a few times uh um We'll get some other episodes together. Uh, It seems like everybody enjoys those, and I think they're very, very interesting and uh, can always be helpful. Like I said, I can always – even the number of dogs I've uh, uh, had a part in training, I always learn something, you know, by talking to other trainers. And and I'm I'm sure your experiences have been the same. You know, you think you've trained dogs for 20 years, but there's somebody comes along and you go, you know, I never thought about that, but that probably – that technique would would probably work. I'm going to try that and see if that works better. So. So there's sure. always a lot more of things out day. there. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll let you go. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to spend with us and we will, uh, talk to you again soon. Uh, we, uh, will be, like I said, uh, putting out some more episodes. If you like what we're doing again, um, uh, help us out, subscribe, uh, download the episodes. Uh, Ian's got two other ones that are out there that he did previously. Uh, that's how you can help us. If you like the podcast and what we're doing, uh, please support it and uh, uh, we'll keep doing them. We enjoy it. We enjoy putting the work, putting the information out to you all to make you more successful in the field. And as my partner Thomas would say if he was there, keep your nose in the wind.